Change that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are fresh off the bye week as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 75. Now, 75 episodes in. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell as we break down the Eagles coming off the bye and how they match up against the Detroit Lions on both sides of the ball. Then we're going to wrap this show up with scouting report, where I want to talk about a player that the Lions are really relying on offensively and what his impact could be on Sunday's game. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. Greg and I talk about this Eagles-Lions matchup. Let's get to that interview now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, uh, it was a good bye week. I know you greatly enjoyed the time off. (laughs) I say that facetiously, of Uh, course. Yes, you do. (laughs) But it was a week off for the Eagles from... uh, from being on the Super Bowl Express. Right, exactly. Well, that, that, and that's a good segue into, and that's why you're a pro's pro, a good segue <laughs> into, and, into how I wanted to start this conversation because to me, and obviously we know the Pittsburgh Steelers were a big test for, yeah. for Doug Peterson and this coaching staff. To me, this is a bigger test, not because of what the Detroit Lions are as a football team. Obviously, look, they're a professional team, and they're struggling right now, but this is a big test for the Eagles coaching staff because – you have a young team, a younger team, led by a rookie quarterback. You're 3-0. and You've far surpassed everybody's expectations outside the building. You had a tough training camp where everybody was grinding and going really hard for four weeks. And then you go 3-0. and Everybody goes home, and you want to relax. Everybody's telling you how great you are. You get patted on the back. Everyone's saying, wow, you guys are doing so well. You almost wonder, man, you guys, can, you guys will definitely beat Detroit this week. You wanted them to come back this week, come back to the building with an edge, and you want them to maintain that edge that they had before the bye week. So it's going to be a – I think this is a big test for Doug Peterson and his whole coaching staff who, to this point through three games, have been pretty much flawless. I don't think there's anything you can complain about with the Eagles coaching staff so far. Yeah, and I think that you're right. This is an interesting game because they're playing against a team that when you watch the tape, you come away thinking they're not really that strong a team, but they have moments. And they've got a gunslinger-type quarterback who in any given Sunday can put up 35 on anybody. He's as good a thrower as there is in the NFL. Now, they've got other issues throughout their roster, but this is a team, and I think particularly for Jim Schwartz on defense, and he might not be the first name that people come up with for this week because they want to see how Carson Wentz does after the bye in the offense. But I think particularly for Jim Schwartz, coming off an outstanding game against the Steelers, uh, now they're playing a team that is – much better in their own building in a, with a quarterback who he knows. He coaches Absolutely. Him. He knows him well. And he knows that Matthew Stafford, and he'll be telling the Eagles defenders this week, Matthew Stafford can make throws. And he, can, he attempts throws that not a lot of quarterbacks even attempt. And you have to be very, very aware in the secondary. And the other thing that stands out about Stafford, and you know this from watching the tape, is he's a lot better mover than people might think. Yes, he's a pocket quarterback at his core, but he can get outside of the pocket, and he has excellent vision outside the pocket. So if he escapes the pocket, 
you have got to find a man because he will throw the ball down the field off movement. Not quite the same as Ben Roethlisberger in that respect, but pretty close. And especially we talked going into the Pittsburgh Steelers game about how Roethlisberger, even if Antonio Brown's doubled, he will let go of the football. There were times, I remember it was two weeks ago, I believe it was in the, in the Green Bay game. It might have actually been last week in Chicago. I've watched Detroit's offense numerous times, so I'm kind of messing things together here. But there was a play where Theo Riddick ran an angle route out of the backfield, and they were, they were in and outing him in, underneath with two linebackers. So basically, essentially a double team on, on Theo Riddick. And he stuck it in the window for a completion on third down. Uh, that was this week. Yeah, it was this it week was in this Chicago. Week against the Bears. I mean, uh, just a, a ridiculous yeah. throw that not a lot of quarterbacks are willing to make. And you say, oh, okay, well, it was a six-yard completion to running back out of the backfield. He's going to make those kinds of throws. Yeah, and the thing that he does really well, which a lot of quarterbacks don't do, is he throws the ball to the sideline really well. Not a lot of quarterbacks do that unless it's a defined throw. But he will throw it in zone holes, sort of that turkey shoot hole in the outside void. You know, the Eagles do play some cover, too. And he has no problem, Stafford does, throwing the ball in that outside void, even late in the down when you think the throw is not there. I've seen him do that and throw it 30 yards down the field. Because if you're throwing it with timing in that outside void versus cover, two, the ball will be caught about 18 and a half, 19 and a half yards. That's the correct timing. But I've seen him late in the down make that same throw and, excuse me, have the ball caught 30 yards down the field. I know Marvin Jones had a couple of big plays yep. against the Green Bay Packers a couple weeks ago in that huge game. I think he had 200-plus yards receiving. Plays just like that where they, they're playing cover two and he just lets it loose oh. and, and just cut it through and got it underneath the safety and over top of the corner. Uh, when you look at just this passing game in general – I think people were expecting a little bit more out of Golden Tate, yes. but the Lions have gotten the production that they would have hoped for when they signed Marvin Jones in free agency. Yeah. yeah, and Marvin Jones is predominantly their X receiver, their single receiver, although like every team, they're multi-formational. But he's predominantly the X receiver to the boundary, and he's done very well. He's, he's probably done a little better than I thought. In that Green Bay game, he had some big plays versus one-on-one coverage. And and one thing that stood out, I don't know if you remember watching him at Cal, Fran. Did you watch Marvin Jones at Cal? I did. I liked Marvin Jones. And I liked Marvin Jones, too. And one thing that stood out was he made a lot of acrobatic catches with a wide catching radius. He's a tall kid. He's not thick, but he's tall. He's sinewy. And he makes acrobatic catches. He's the kind of receiver that can make catches even when he's covered. So he's done a really good job for them. But I think the two players that you really have to concern yourself with are Theo Riddick and Eric Ebron. You mentioned Riddick on that throw by Stafford. Riddick is as as good as there is coming out of the backfield. He even lines up at times when they go empty in the slot to the boundary. He's ridiculous in the slot. He's really good. And and it's funny because when they played Tennessee, I think it was week two, I think he lined up in the slot, detached from the formation three times. All three times Dick LeBeau double teamed him with linebackers. That just shows you how concerned a veteran defensive coordinator in this league and a Hall of Famer is was concerned with, with Theo Riddick in the slot. Well, that was one of the takeaways I had after re-watching the game against the Eagles last year on Thanksgiving Day. Riddick absolutely killed the Eagles out of the backfield. But when you had a guy like Calvin Johnson on the outside and you still had Ebron, the Eagles paid a lot of extra attention to Calvin Johnson down in the red zone for a good reason. He obviously had a big day that right. day as well. But when you spend extra attention on one receiver, we talked about this with Antonio Brown, that's going to leave other – you're not going to be able to double everybody. You've got to be no. able to win those one-on-one matchups. Now they don't have Calvin Johnson there, so it's interesting to see how teams are playing them defensively. And I don't think that the Eagles will view Marvin Jones 
as a receiver that has to be doubled. Right. Yep, uh, I would agree. I mean, certainly they did with Antonio Brown, and that made good sense. But I don't think Marvin Jones fits into that category. But we talked about Riddick. Ebron is the other guy because he is a guy he can line up at X-ISO, the single receiver to the boundary. He can line up in the inside slot in three-by-one sets. Uh, and he's a tough cover. And he's very good working inside between the numbers and – you know, he's one of those receivers. He's a chain mover. He's a sustainer. And I think that Stafford's pretty comfortable making difficult throws to him. What are some things you talked about when, when they moved Riddick into the slot that Dick LeBeau was able to double him against Tennessee? When he's in the backfield, what are some things that defenses can do to pay extra attention? Is there anything they could do to it's pay extra attention? It's harder when he's in the backfield, you know, just because of where he starts. I mean, obviously, when you're in the backfield, you're not a vertical threat. You're not an early vertical threat. You can be a late vertical threat, but you're not a vertical threat. But when you're in the backfield, he can release outside, as most backs do, angle routes, option routes, flare routes. But what he can also do is release through the line. And when you release through the line, you you pretty much dictate that a linebacker is responsible for him. And I think that's one area where he poses a lot of problems uh, just because when you release through the line, sometimes you get lost for a moment. And that's all it takes because he has such great lateral quickness to make linebackers, even athletic linebackers, really struggle to cover him. So it, it's hard to double backs out of the backfield. When they get down into the red zone – Theo Riddick is their leading receiver in terms of targets. Five targets, four catches, 32 yards, and a touchdown. So it gives you an idea of how productive he is when they get down near the goal line. Uh, the, the Lions have been very efficient offensively. I mean, they're, they're third in the league, I believe, uh, offensively on first down. Or they're fifth on first down, fifth on third down. They are second in the NFL in 10-play drives. They have a sustaining element to the way that they play offense. And I think for people who are just looking at their last game, you get a false read. Yeah. That's why I made the point when we started that you got to be careful with this offense. This is not a bad offense. Now, they struggled in all areas against the Bears last week in Chicago. That was a bad game. They are not that offense. They are capable of doing much more. One concern potentially is a run game. They lost uh, Amir Abdullah basically, I guess, for the season. So they've been playing Dwayne Washington, a rookie from the University of Washington. They've been playing, uh, obviously, Theo Riddick. And I think they're trying to find uh, some kind of sustaining element to the run game to give them some balance. And Washington got hurt this past week yeah. with an ankle, and he's kind of up in the air yeah. for Sunday. So that'll be something really interesting. They've got Zach Zenner there in the backfield as well. Uh, they used him quite a bit this week. A preseason yeah. superstar uh, that's right, for the last that's couple right. years for the, for the Detroit Lions. When you're looking at them offensively and you look at that offensive line, they've yeah. spent a ton of resources there over the last couple years uh, in, through the draft. You know, Taylor Decker was the first-round pick this year. Lakin Tomlinson was a former first-round pick. Riley Reif, former first-round pick. Even they've Swanson got, was Swanson a, was a third, and Larry Warford was a third. Right. They've spent a lot of resources there, but I don't know that they're getting the return yet. It's still a young group, obviously. Yeah. How, what's your feeling overall on, on the way that the line has played through four games? You know, to me, it has not been a detriment. I mean, I don't feel as if it's a bad line. Um, you know, like you say, they're going through some learning. I, you know, I think that they'll probably struggle at times with a Fletcher Cox, maybe with a Vinnie Curry in pass rush situations. Um, but I think it's it'll be an improving line. Now, it's early in this season. The Eagles are catching them now when they've only played four games. I've been – pleasantly surprised with Decker I mean he's had ups and downs but if, if I had to make an evaluation after four games which is usually not enough but I think he's going to be a, a solid NFL left tackle he may not be in the 
high, high echelon group, but I think he's going to be a solid NFL left tackle. All right, hold on. Let me just let me tweet this out. Greg Cosell says Taylor Decker, Hall of Famer. Got it. There you okay. go. Um, so right. when I, I would his be, bust will be next to Riley Reese. Of course. Yes. Uh, I would be remiss also talking about this passing game, uh, not to mention Anquan Bolden, who they signed late yeah. in the offseason, very late in the offseason. He still catches passes. He, run, he runs. He gets separation. Man. I know. He's, it's he, amazing. He, it's, it's crazy to see him in the middle of the field, and, and that's really where these matchups, I think, can be won for them is in the middle yeah. of the field. Uh, it's going to be a test for the Eagles yeah. in that area uh, with Bolden, with Eric Ebron, with Theo Riddick. Uh, defending that area of the field. Bolden has a knack. You're right. I remember being at the Combine when he came out, which was, what, 13, 14 years ago? Yeah. He ran a 4.72 back when he came out. Right. So imagine what he runs now. But he has a knack for separating and – I don't know if anybody has stronger hands in the league. Yeah, he's, uh, it's amazing to see a guy uh, still performing that way uh, at this stage of his career. Let's flip, flip the script here, Greg, and, t- and talk about this Lions defense uh, matched up against this Eagles offense because, look, the numbers, if you look at the raw numbers, it's not very good. When you look at the tape, also not very good. However, they are missing Ziggy Ansah, yeah. who doesn't just, look like he's right. going to play, but still up in the air. Uh, with a high ankle sprain. It's amazing they're missing him because this past Sunday against the Bears, they played 10 different defensive linemen. It's unbelievable. And they they really, they do a lot of, obviously, a ton of rotation. Kerry Hyder from Texas Tech from a couple years ago has been uh, their most productive guy up front. I think they would have liked somebody else to kind of step into that. But he's got five sacks through four games. Uh, Is probably, I would say, on the all Looks awful in the uniform team in the NFL. Doesn't look but like Tarzan. No, it does no. not look like Tarzan, but he doesn't play like Jane either. No, right? no. He's a high no, effort he's guy. Well. Uh, and he's, he's done a lot of different things. And they move him around a little bit. They stand him up in the A-gap a little, A-gap bit. A little yeah. bit. So yeah. uh, doing some things that they did with Ziggy Ansah week one against the Indianapolis Colts. But when you look at the rest of this line, you know, what have you seen from Sean Robinson? Limited reps. A lot doing some reading and looking at what people are saying out in Detroit. It seems like everybody's clamoring for him to see more time. Yeah. A big fourth down stop a couple weeks ago. What is your take so far on Ashawn Robinson? You see the strength. I mean, you see the fact that he's a big physical guy, um, not a pass rusher yet. I think he can eventually become somewhat of an inside pass rusher, but he's not that guy yet. Um, you know, they play a lot of people, Fran. That, that's obviously the belief right now of the defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin. He wants to play a lot of people, have a nice rotation. And and I don't think anybody really is going to play a ton of snaps. They're going to move people in and out. Uh, you know, they still have Haloti Nada. Uh, and He's playing a lot on third down for them, which I is know, surprising. which yeah. is a little surprising. And again, he has moments where you just see the strength, but he certainly is not the player he was four or five years ago. A lot of different sub package looks. Yep. You know, they, they they play a good amount of nickel. They play a good lot of a uh, good dime amount of dime. Dime is their third down package. Yeah, they, and the, yeah. they played a lot of dime this past week where they brought the rookie. Uh, it was a fifth round pick, I believe. Um, and I'm Miles forgetting Killebrew. his Miles Killebrew. Thank you to Southern safety. Southern Utah, right? Some, yes, exactly. Who well, he was playing linebacker. because Tavon Austin, who's their starting safety, was inactive this week, and I don't know what his status is for this game, but that's why Raphael Bush started, and and he's truly not an NFL starter at safety. So they, they had to go a little deeper to play their dime. And they're a dime team on third down. Yeah, and that's the thing. When One of the things I came away after watching this Bears game, when they go dime on third down, and when it was third and long, which it was a good amount of timing in Chicago this past week, who they struggled to move the ball a little bit as well, uh, it was a lot of different things up front. You know, maybe it wasn't always they were a, big you know, a stunt five team. man big they stunt. That's what I was going to say. Yes, 
A lot of TE stunts, tackle first and looping behind. And then three-man stunts as well. They do a lot of different things. Yeah, the long stunts. Yep. But they're a big – you have to be careful with that. That's something that I'm sure uh, Stout's going to be working on a lot this week with the offensive line because this is a a defensive line group that is a big stunting group. This is going to be the first defense that I think has shown a good amount of cover zero so far this year, especially when they get down into the red zone. Cleveland, Chicago, Pittsburgh haven't shown any really cover zero looks so far for the Philadelphia Eagles. When you go against cover zero, what is that like for Carson Wentz in that kind of situation? Well, in an ideal world, you recognize it before the snap, in an ideal world. And, And so far, Carson Wentz has shown a clear affinity for being able to recognize things before the snap of the ball. And it doesn't seem like they're trying to disguise it much when they no, do do it. No. So, that, so that if you recognize it before the ball, then you will have a throw. Now, whether it's complete or not, that's a different question, but you will have a throw because the last thing you want is not to recognize it and, and not drop with any urgency, and then you usually get hit. You know, you get hit. So the key is to recognize it before the snap, and then you can make a throw. And then really the big thing for that is a lot of the cover zero looks that we have seen from them has been down in the red zone. Yes. That, especially against no, the Green Bay No, they're not a cover Packers. zero team, yeah. zero blitz in the middle of the no, field. No, but when they get down in the red zone, especially against Green Bay, sometimes it worked, sometimes, sometimes it didn't. They they're, got burned for a couple touchdowns. Their main blitzes well. come on third down at a dime, and their overload blitz concepts where they often they blitz from the boundary, where they try to create a four-on-three situation you know, one more than you can pick up. And, again, the quarterback needs to recognize that. I mean, they had a sack last week against a veteran quarterback, Brian Hoyer. Uh, And Hoyer's been in the league a long time, and he did not recognize the overload blitz. And he was clearly surprised that Darius Slay got in clean, and he got sacked. If you're an Eagles fan and you're looking at this matchup, the Eagles offense against the Lions defense, there are a few things you could take away. Some of the things I've taken away – Five touchdowns by tight ends through four games uh, they've, they've allowed on defense. Yeah. Uh, and also, they seem to have a lot of issues with the misdirection and the three-level stretch, which has been a big part of what the Eagles, what the Eagles do offensively. Do. Yeah. So yeah. that's going to be something that I, I think is very interesting. Again, it goes back, though, to the execution. Can the players have the right mindset going into this game on the road in Detroit? Everybody's been telling you how good you are. Uh, can they get that edge back going into and this I game? And I think there's a sense coming off a really bad game that uh, and not only for players maybe but maybe for Eagles fans as well that this is not a good Lions team yeah and it's just an easy win and hey if you watch the tape you do come away thinking that the Lions are not a real good team but they still have Matthew Stafford they can score points on anybody if Stafford is sharp and and they do have weapons that can pose problems now you would think Fran that the Eagles should be able to score on this defense let me put I want to ask you to put your defensive coordinator hat on you're looking at Carson Wentz and his numbers, we've talked about it, his numbers against the Blitz have been very, very good. Top five in the league right now against the Blitz, Carson Wentz. But on third down, he hasn't really been pressured at all. In fact, right. only one quarterback has been blitzed less on third down in the entire NFL. If you're the Lions and if you're Terrell Austin, how are you looking at Carson Wentz and what, what would you be doing? Uh, because he showed last week, or, you know, two weeks ago now, against Pittsburgh that he's willing to carve up coverage. He's shown the ability to attack the blitz. What would you do if you were the Lions and you were looking at Wentz this week? I think what I one thing I would do, and this is always easy to talk, but I would do disguise and late movement. To me, late movement is critical because I think Carson Wentz has shown a clear propensity to recognize things before the snap. So what I would do, particularly in passing situations, is I would move at the snap because there's the 
pre-snap phase, which he's shown to be very good at for a rookie through three games. And then there's the post-snap phase. You want the post-snap phase to look different than the pre-snap phase. And I think that's one thing I would do uh, with Carson Wentz is I'd show him something pre-snap and then have it look different post-snap. They haven't done as much of that through four games, so no. and they absolutely can do Every it. Team can Every do team it. can do it. Right, exactly right. right. So It is the NFL. If you're, if you're Carson Wentz, now, and this is the cat and mouse game, right. if you're Carson Wentz, how do you go in if you're the offensive coaching staff because, of the Eagles? How do you prepare for well, something like that? Well, he's been a that? very rhythmic player, which yeah. is very surprising for a rookie. There's been a lot of quick game, and I think that's really smart by Doug Peterson, a lot of quick game because the quick game is not really a lot of reading involved. It's not progression reading in the quick game. The ball comes out. It's well-defined. Now, the other thing, too, is maybe you do a little – they're not a big press coverage team, but for teams that play the the quick game and do it really effectively, you can't just give up those quick throws. Yeah. Uh, So, again – what the Lions coaching staff is doing, obviously, is they're looking at the – based on, on formation, alignments, is they're looking to see what the routes are in the quick game, and you try to take that away. You try to make Wentz get later in the down. Now, is he a guy who can run? Is he athletic? Yes, but you still want to get him out of rhythm. You want to get him later in the down. And this is – I'm really glad that this is what you brought up because this is where my head was at right. uh, yesterday and then also this morning. So I thought, all right, if they're going to get, try and get the ball out quickly and stay in a rhythm, they may try to do what they did against Chicago, which was they start that game out and empty. And we've right. talked about how that's right. good for the quarterback and it's good offensively. You right. get the ball right. out quickly, you get them in a rhythm, you get them some confidence, right. quick completions. So I said, all right, well, how is Detroit against empty sets? You know, they've only played empty on seven reps so far through this uh, through the first four games. Well, they played some against Chicago this week. Yeah, it was yeah. six of seven quarterbacks are on, in empty. Yeah, six yeah, of seven yeah. for 59 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. So they've struggled a little bit in the empty sets. Obviously yeah, a very small, small sample, sample size. size. No, and I think empty is part of – look, empty pretty much demands that you get the ball out quick because you don't go empty with seven-step no drops. Doubt. No exactly. one does that. No, exactly. So, I mean, it's quick throws. You can throw fades, which are quick throws. But uh, I think empty is part of the Doug Peterson package. Last question for you, Greg, and this is whenever I'm watching, and I know you do the same, whenever I'm watching football throughout the season, my mind always tends to drift towards the draft and ah. just team building and, and just uh, overall just the, the philosophy behind team building and, aqua- and talent acquisition. And one of the things that I've th- thought as I've been watching the Lions, because I, I feel like the Lions, and tell me if you disagree, every year in the draft, the last few years, the Lions will, go, will be a team where I'll look at and I'll be like, you know what, going into the draft, if you had told me that these were their needs, they kind of they kind of addressed what their needs were. They drafted a corner. They drafted – I'm just throwing positions out. They addressed positions of need. But then you go look at, their, at the roster, and obviously they're not where they need to be yet from a talent-wise perspective. And then I think, man, this is why you just need to draft, draft the best players every single time you, get, you well, get a chance. You want to try and acquire the best talent possible. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about, along with others, and I've had this conversation with others, and in fact, Lewis Riddick uh, first brought it up to me. And I know you know Lewis, and, and it, it made me think. You know, everybody always says they want a franchise quarterback, okay? That, that's easy. Oh, you, need, you can't win without a quarterback. You know, that's like saying you've got to score more points than the other team. But, you know, there's not that many of those guys. And we might be entering a college world in which there's fewer and fewer of those guys who are going to come into the NFL. So if you think about team building, and look, the Eagles, they may have that guy. They may have a guy who when all said and done, could be a top two, three guy, and that's great for the Eagles. But if you just think about it, what what is a more difficult thing to do or an easier thing to do, depending on how you want to phrase the question, get a top three franchise quarterback 
or build a top 10 defense. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's probably easier to build a top 10 probably defense. Probably is. Yeah. And you know, you watch the game, I know that I watch probably more than you do of, of every team in the Definitely, league. Absolutely. You're seeing more two-back sets. You're seeing more focus on run games. You know, again, not that that means that backs, and I know you've done more draft. I haven't done any draft work really for this year, and I know you've done a lot. This will be the year of the running back. It'll be very It'll be interesting, interesting to see yep. how many backs go early if teams are starting to think, hey, more two-back, more run game. You Especially know. with it being a down year at quarterback. Correct. So it'll be a very interesting discussion. So, I mean, uh, well, you and I will have many of those, yes. I'm sure, once the season ends. Correct. Absolutely. Well, Greg Cosell, very much looking forward to watching the game with you on Sunday. We will see you here next week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Great stuff from Greg. And, again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really, really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is just one way to support the show, though. The other way is to go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to Free Boozy, who rated the show and left a comment on our iTunes page saying how much he enjoyed the breakdowns on this show as well as on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, which will, of course, return this offseason. So thanks to Free Boozy and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, whether it's the Eagles Live podcast with Eagles with uh, Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro or the Eagles Insider podcast with Chris McPherson and Alex Smith. I love that podcast. I listen to it every single week. But let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that I wanted to profile a player that could have a huge impact on this game one way or another on Sunday afternoon. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the scouting report this week is a player that I just got done talking about with Greg, and that's their first-round pick this season, Ohio State left tackle Taylor Decker, who they inserted to be their starter from week one. He's 6'7", 310 pounds. He was a first-team All-American last year, started 42 games over his career for the Buckeyes at both left tackle and at right tackle. Now, last season for the Buckeyes, his senior year, lined up at left tackle. I wrote that he was very light on his feet. He popped out of his stance quickly in pass protection, and he had the feet to protect the edge. He flashed the ability to drop his weight and anchor against a bull, bull rush in college. Once he's engaged in pass pro, I thought he did a good job of keeping his feet alive through contact. He saw things quickly. He wasn't fooled by stunts and blitzes on the perimeter. He only gave up one sack last year as a senior. In 2014, though, he gave up four sacks. So I wasn't a huge, huge fan of Decker, but he did improve from his junior year in 2014 to 2015. I thought he worked really well in tandem with his guard and his tight end in the zone run game. He has got a good feel for working up to the second level, locating and latching onto a moving target in space. When he played low, which obviously is a little bit tough for him at 6'7", he did a good job moving people. He does a good job as a puller. I talked about his ability to go out in space. So overall, solid athlete. Saw more consistency from him in 2015 than what I saw as a junior, but still had a couple issues with him. You know, naturally, like I said, he had some issues with his pad level coming off the ball. He tends to key, and this is a big thing for me always whenever I'm watching tackles because it's an issue that I see all the time, especially with young players. He keeps his hands, and he kept his hands, at his sides in his pass set. And that often results in him being late with his hands and being more of a scooper rather than a puncher. So you think about it, an offensive lineman drops back in his pass set and you got a defender coming right at him. Instead of his hands being up by his chest so he can punch, 
his hands are down in his waist. So it takes him a little bit longer to get those hands up and get into the defender's chest. So often a defender would get into him before he was able to return the favor. Had trouble changing direction at times when he did overset, so he gave up a lot of uh, a lot of penetration from inside counter moves on the edge, and he got beat a couple times with speed to power. Didn't jar anyone on contact. I was a little bit worried overall about his overall strength, his play strength, moving on to the NFL. I thought I wrote down going into the draft that I thought he had the potential of a quality starter in the NFL. But I had some reservations, didn't know if he was ready to play right out of the box. Obviously, he has played and he started since week one here. I want to see him get stronger, more consistent with his technique. If he can do that, he should be a long-time starter on the blind side. So, question is, what have I seen so far? Well, to me, Decker has just been okay. And, and Greg mentioned the ups and downs. The big thing that I've seen from Decker goes back to what I talked about with his hands. When people get into him and get inside his pads, he has a lot of issues, especially against bigger defensive linemen. So, you know, if he's going up against some of the power rushers, and most of the rushers on the Eagles roster are of that variety, whether it's Brandon Graham, whether it's Vinnie Curry, whether it's Connor Barwin, uh, any of the defensive tackles that line up outside. If any of those guys get their hands inside on Taylor Decker and pass protection, I would expect that to be a win for the defense. So that's going to be something that very much is going to be very intriguing for me to watch, especially if the Eagles get an early lead and get to pin their ears back and go against this offense. So that's going to be very, very interesting for me to watch on Sunday's game. So big thanks to Greg Costell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show here in the books on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the Novacare Complex. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.